Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I was working on a ranch in South Texas, and uh, we were pushing a bunch of yearlings. It was a rotational grazing, savory method rotation grazing, so we had a bunch of, you know, like 500 steers and you know, if you have 500 steers, you know, there's going to be some nod heads in there and you kind of like save the cowboy. And um, anyway, me and this, uh, there was uh, three vaqueros, Mexican cowboys from Muskies, Mexico, and best hands I'd ever been around in my life. Best brush cowboys that I think God ever created. And one of them was on my left, and I'm right here, and we kept having this problem with this one steer. He'd always want to quit the herd and all that. And we're riding along, and we're having to do this, right? And as we kind of did this to push some others up, and, you know, there's only four of us moving 500 head. And, uh, well, there was actually five of us counting the boss. And um, all of a sudden, this one steer turned back, and I mean, there he goes. And uh, the boss turned around and looked at me and the guy that was on my left, and he goes, rope him. <laughs> yes. So I wheeled my horse around, and I locked eyes with that cowboy. And I could see the competition, because they could get through brush faster than I had ever seen anybody do. And now was my chance to go head-to-head with one of the br- best brush cowboys I had ever seen in my life. No guts, no glory. So I wheeled around and I purred the, uh, purred the spurs, poured the spurs to my old mount, right? I looked like a barrel racer coming around barrel number three. I was all starfish, just wada, wada, right? Here I go. I didn't even try to avoid anything. I left a trail of blood about half a mile wide going through that, but he was not going to beat me through that brush because I knew that there was a clearing because we'd just come through that brush. I knew that there was a clearing up I could hear the yearling in front of me, couldn't see it, but you know, you can hear everything crashing. And I could hear my competition off to my right coming through. I just kept pouring it to him. Over and under, let's go. I made it through the brush and I looked over to my right. No cowboy. There's the yearling. No guts, no glory. All right, it is my time to shine. I built that loop and I threw. No guts, no glory. What happened next is seared into my brain, maybe pounded into my brain, burned into my brain, stuck in my brain, etched into my brain. I'll tell you all about that some other time. I'd like to tell you about five of the gutsiest men in the Bible. They were all part of David's mighty men. David's mighty men. You might have heard of one or two of them. But today we'll find out what we can learn from each of them about having guts and giving God the glory. Because when I say no guts, no glory, what I mean is if we don't have guts, God can't get the glory. No guts, no glory. The first one mentioned in 2 Samuel 23 is in verse 8. If any of you speak Hebrew, I will... I will apologize beforehand for my Texas dialect trying to speak Hebrew names. This guy's name is Joshua Beam. That's as close as I can get it. 
Jashabim. J-A-S-H-O-B-E-A-M. Jashabim. And in verse 2 Samuel 23, verse 8, this is what the good book says. These are the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Jashabim, the something, who was leader of the three. The three mightiest warriors among David's men. So Jashabim is the leader of the three. They were like an elite SEAL Team 6 within David's 30 men. And Jashabim is the captain. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. And you want to talk about a bad hombre? This is, a, this is one bad hombre. He, he uses a spear to kill 800 enemy soldiers in one battle. He is the leader of the three, and the three are basically like a SEAL Team 6 within David's mighty men. He killed 800 men with the spear in battle. No guts, no glory. If you really want to follow the Lord, if you truly want to follow the Lord, there will be times that you will have to deal with seemingly overwhelming circumstances. Overwhelming circumstances. That's what we can learn from the leader of the three. The elite squad within David's mighty fighting men. I mean, if, if Jashabim killed 800 by himself, imagine how many there were. Overwhelming circumstances. Overwhelming problems. Overwhelming emotions. There is going to be times when you're following God that you are going to feel overwhelmed. Overwhelming problems. Overwhelming emotions. Overwhelming sickness. Overwhelming loneliness, despair, hopelessness, addiction, depression, and even indecision. There's going to be times that you will face overwhelming circumstances. That doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. Joshua Beam wasn't doing anything wrong. He was following God. And he had to single-handedly kill 800 people that were trying to attack Israel by himself. When's the last time you faced something overwhelming? That the odds, you felt like the odds were stacked against you. But you know what? Is there any doubt in our minds that God was not with Joshua Beam that day? Because I think it's humanly impossible for a man to kill 800 other men. A man kill 800 other men with a spear without God's divine intervention. There's no doubt that God was with Joshua Beam. And there's no doubt that the very same God is with you today. There will be times that you must make a gutsy call against overwhelming circumstances, whether it's internal, whether it's external, whether it's right now or a few days, few months, few years away. There is going to be a time in following God that you are going to feel overwhelmed and that there is no way that you're going to get out of this. But the same God that was with Jashabim will be with you in your overwhelming circumstances. If you don't have the guts to face overwhelming circumstances, then there's no way God can get the glory. Overwhelming circumstances. No guts, no glory. The next of David's mighty fighting men that we'll talk about is a guy named Eleazar. Eleazar. And in verse 9, 
2 Samuel 23, verse 9, says this. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar, son of... A descendant of Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. Okay, Jashabim is the leader of the three, right? He's the captain. Eleazar could be considered maybe the lieutenant of the threes. The Israelite army retreats. They get scared, and they just, they go. Except for David and Eleazar. Now, I want you to picture this. If the entire Israelite army is in fear for their lives and runs off and leaves two men fighting back to back, and the Lord gave them a great victory that day. The Eleazar was so tired from the victory that he couldn't even no longer lift his sword. No guts, no glory. I love how this verse and the next one that we'll talk about ends with, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. If the Lord gives you victory, then he gets the glory. You know, if you're going to truly follow God, one day you're going to be so tired that you just want to quit. But just like we learned with Jashabim that sometimes we're going to face overwhelming circumstances, whether internal or external. We just feel like it's hopeless, blah, blah, blah. But the same God that was with Jashabim is going to be with us. What we can learn from Eleazar is to never quit. Never, ever quit until the victory is won. Do not quit. This may, you know, there's going to be circumstances that you, you're just worn out. And they don't have to be physical, although we've, been, we've all been in one of those physical situations. You know, if you have to flank calves all day or, you know, there, there's a hundred different ways. But it doesn't have to be necessarily just physical. It can be emotional. It can be spiritual. That you just feel like the weight of the world is on you and all you want to do is just, you know, forget all this. I'm not doing this anymore. Man, you don't know that you're leaning, on God, you're leaning on God's strength until God's strength is all you have left. You know, we are to stay in the fight until it is won, not until we're tired. And it doesn't matter if everybody else retreats. Can you stand there and hold the line? Are you going to be the one that quits first? You know, I'm sure if David left, Eleazar would left. And David probably thought... I'm going to be the last one, and if Eleazar's not going to leave, then I'm not going to leave my buddy. No, that's great. Love it. He's saying, he's talking to me, that's my buddy. Listen, if you don't have the guts to keep going, no matter what, God can't get the glory. If you don't have the guts to keep going, no matter what, I don't know what you're going through right now, but you do, and God does, that you feel overwhelmed overwhelming circumstances that, yes, man, you may have been this close to wanting to quit. Don't. Maybe you've already quit. Maybe it's time that you jump back in there because I guarantee you, no matter what is going on, quitting is not going to bring you victory. Quitting is not going to make things better. Don't quit. If you don't have the guts to keep going, no matter what, God doesn't get the glory. No guts, no glory. The next one, 
of David's mighty fighting men is the last of the three, the elite fighting squad within David's ranks. This guy's name is Shamwow. No, it's not really. It's Shema. <laughs> Every time I'm like, Shamwow. This is Shema. Shama. Now, let's say, say Shema. Llamas. Shema. Next in, this is in verse 11. Next in rank was Shema, son of her from her. It's really hard to pronounce. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. The Israelite army fled. <laughs> I'm starting to see a pattern here. You know, okay. The Israelite army fled, but Shema held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory that day. At some point in your life, you're going to face overwhelming circumstances. At some point in your life, you're just going to want to quit. It's too hard. It's too much. And at some point in your life, you're going to have to do what Shema did and make a stand in your own field of peas. <laughs> lentils. Your own field of lentils. That didn't work. But you know what? Sometimes our greatest enemy isn't going to be the Philistines attacking us. It's not going to be some enemy from without. Most of the time where you're going to have to make a stand is from that enemy within. That sinful nature that we have inside of all of us. You are going to have to make a stand for what you believe in. The greatest battles are won or lost in the heart. And the heart is where strength and discipline come from. How's your heart? How is your heart? Are you strong? Because you know what? Spiritual strength comes from spiritual discipline. You're never going to get spiritually stronger unless you have a spiritual discipline. How do we get a spiritual discipline? We got to do things the way God said to do it, why he said to do it that way, how he said to do it that way, and why. And you, know, you get the picture. Spiritual strength comes from spiritual discipline, and nobody can do that for you. And you know what, you all, we all got that, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. And the angel's way is always the hard way. And it's always the right way. The greatest battle will be from within. Spiritual strength comes from spiritual discipline. Well, maybe your spiritual strength is okay. How about emotional strength? How's your emotional strength? Because emotional strength comes from emotional discipline. How do we get emotional discipline? Well, listen, you know, emotions are real, but they're not real reliable. They're not an accurate representation of the truth. It is an accurate representation of your reaction to a situation, not the truth of the situation. So how do we develop emotional strength? We must develop emotional discipline. Quit having that knee-jerk reaction over every single person. And I did good this week. I did good this week. Me and Neil always laugh about people that drive between Kiowa and Elizabeth at 45 miles an hour. I always get behind them. If that's you, God bless you. Because not only was this guy driving 45 miles an hour, he had to pull out right in front of me where I had to slam on my brakes to drive 45 miles an hour. And I could, that old devil on my ear would just rah, 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 rah. I was like, hey, no big deal. I drive 45. My truck goes 45. And we went 45 for a long time. But emotional strength comes from emotional discipline. How is yours? 
Do you let emotions rule your life or do you let the truth of God rule your life? Emotional strength comes from emotional discipline. Physical strength comes from physical discipline. You don't get stronger by thinking about exercising. You don't get better at roping by watching roping videos. You don't develop the muscles you need to learn to ride horses with, without riding. Physical strength comes from physical discipline. To master yourself is to win a victory for the Lord and give him glory. When are you going to make your stand, folks? When are you going to make your stand, not against anyone else, but with yourself, to say, this is who I am. This is what I am. This is who God created me to be. And I'm going to get rid of everything that doesn't fit who God has me to be. I'm going to do things the way he said. I'm going to make a stand to do things the way he said, how he said to do it, and why he said to do it. Isn't it time, seriously, for you to make a stand in your field of lentils and do battle with yourself? And when you do, even though the circumstances may seem overwhelming, and even though everything in your being wants to quit, make a stand. Because if you don't have the guts to make a stand, God doesn't get the glory. No guts, no glory. So we're through with the three elite within the 30. Now, we're going to talk about a fellow named Abishai. Abishai. And in verse 18, dropping down to verse 18, it says, Abishai, son of the brother of Joab, was the leader of the 30. Okay? Now, follow me here. Jashabim was the leader of the three. They were an elite fighting force within the 30. Abishai, son of Zuriah, the brother of Joab, was a leader of the 30. Now, let me give you a little bit of a tidbit in here. Most of us have heard of Joab before. He ends up leading uh, David's army later. But Joab and Abishai and Asahel are the sons of David's sister, Zeriel, or whatever. Azriel, I don't know. That one. So these are David's nephews, but they're about his same age. Okay? Big family. Abishai was the leader of the 30. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. It was by such feats that he became as famous as the three. Abishai was the most famous of the 30 and was their commander, though he was not one of the three. Okay? He's just as good at them. Everybody knows who he is, but he's not one of the three. Abishai was a leader, but even though he was famous, you know, he didn't have the recognition that the three had. He killed 300 people with a spear in battle. No guts, no glory. And what can we learn from Abishai? is that you don't have to be the greatest to make a great difference. You don't have to be the greatest to make a great difference. Put your pride in your back pocket and quit comparing your life, your skills, your talents, and your worth against somebody else. Who cares if somebody else is better at something than you? Who cares if everybody knows their name and nobody knows your name, or very few do? Who cares? See, what we can learn from Abishai is humility is humility. You don't have to be the biggest and the best and the best roper, have the best horse, have the fanciest trailer, the biggest truck to make a great difference in the world. You know what? You can be who you are and the Lord will give you 
a mighty victory. Quit comparing yourself to everybody else. Quit comparing yourself to everybody else. The gutsiest thing that you can do is have humility. If you don't have the guts to be humble, then God will never get the glory. Do you have the guts to be humble? To not compare yourself to anybody else? To not matter if you're better or worse or just quit comparing yourself to everybody else? Humility. And the last one that we're going to talk about. We talked about Jashabim, overwhelming circumstances. We talked about Eleazar, don't quit. We talk about Shamwal and Shema and uh, making a stand. Now we got to Abishai, humility. And now we talked about one that you've probably heard of, Benaiah, Benaiah. In verse 20, there was also Benaiah, a valiant warrior. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once, armed with only a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. This dude is awesome. This dude is awesome. See, Benaiah wasn't part of the three. He wasn't the commander of the 30. But he ended up being the captain of David's personal guard. After David dies, Benaiah helps Solomon gain the throne. No guts, no glory. See, the last thing that we're going to learn from five of David's mighty men, what we can learn from Benaiah, is that it takes guts to be the best version of yourself. The best version of yourself. Got a question? Got a question? Don't raise your hand. Don't answer out loud. But ask yourself, are you the best version of who you know you could be right now? Are you the best version of who you know you could be right now? And what would you need to change in order for you to come alive and be the best version of yourself? I've got one possible answer. And it's something that we can learn from Beniah about being the best version of ourselves is that the quickest way to do that is to put yourself in service to somebody else, to serve others, to serve others. Beniah was a captain of David's guard, personal bodyguard. He served David. He did whatever David told him to. He protected David. He killed a giant Egyptian with his own spear, with the Egyptian's own spear. He chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed it. He defeated two Moab champions, two on one, and he beat both of them. And what did Benaiah do? Did he walk around, look at me, look at me, look at me? No, he looked to who he could serve. And he served David until David's death. And David asked him to serve Solomon in the same way. And Benaiah did. You want to be the best version of yourself? Put yourself in service to somebody else. Who can you put yourself in service to? If you don't have the guts to serve others, to become the best version of yourself, God doesn't get the glory. No guts, no glory. I was cut up and bloody from about a 45-second mad barrel race dash through the thickest brush that South Texas ever grew. I looked at it in that 45 seconds as hell's half section, and I threw my loop and didn't even hit him. Didn't even hit the yearling. No guts, no glory. And not one second later, 
I see a streak of pure South Texas vaquero brush cowboy. Throw a loop that settled right around the yearling's head like it belonged there its whole life. I rebuilt my loop as he turned it, and I single-legged him on the first try. And as we tied it down, I thought my opponent, who had just humiliated me, I thought he would gloat. I got him. I got him. You missed. I thought he would gloat, but he didn't. Instead, he walked over as we stood up from tying this yearling down. And with the biggest smile you ever saw on your face, he lifted his hand up like this. And he gave me a high five. And in broken English, he goes, we did it, Kevin. We did it, Kevin. And that's when I understood that against overwhelming odds, I had gotten through that brush on first. And I got the first shot. He let me make my stand because he saw that there was no quit in me. But he displayed humility while I did nothing but make prideful comparisons. He showed me what it's like to be the best version of yourself. And we are at best when we are in service to the brand, not competing against each other. You know what? There's a small chance that some of you I've given a high five to. You often wondered where that came from. That's where it came from, of saying that we're on the same team that we are not against each other, that we are partners in this fight, in this battle. It means that I know what you're going through. It means that I am here for you and you are here for me. So give someone a high five to show them that you're with them. And don't forget, if you don't have guts, God doesn't get the glory. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, you have created every single one of us for the purpose of following you. You will give us the victory so we can give you the glory. Fill us with strength, power, and self-control in order to win the greatest battle against ourselves as we fight for the souls of those that you love. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.